message I call the last Passover. The last Passover. Mark chapter 14 and verse 12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Earlier in Mark chapter 14, Mark had filled in that glorious backstory as he went back to the beginning of this time as Jesus came to Bethany and they had the feast there in the house of Simon the leper and Mary the sister of Lazarus had anointed Jesus with the contents of that precious alabaster box as she broke it, poured it over his head, ran down to his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. What a, what a message of love and adoration and worship that was. And now Mark returns to the timeline narrative. And he does it with a simple word that begins our text today. Now. <laughs> now. So obviously he's returning back to the timeline. It would be what we would call Thursday night. Although in their time it would have been Friday morning because they reckoned days from sundown to sundown. So Friday night as we would have called it was their, or Thursday night rather, would have been their Friday morning before the sun would set again. Jesus would be arrested, tried three times, scourged, crucified. He would die and be buried. Uh, I always will believe that the Jewish leaders planned to have Jesus dead and buried before sunrise. And it was only the fact that Pilate didn't cooperate and then they had to send him to Herod and Herod didn't really cooperate. And, and so it, it, it played things out and it was finally about 9 o'clock in the morning then when Jesus was actually crucified that means that Jesus would die on the actual day of Passover when the Passover lambs were being killed. Uh, Christ our Passover, as he's called in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. It was exactly according to the plan and purpose of God that Jesus would die on Passover. For almost 1,500 years, the Jews had observed Passover. For almost 2,000 years since this moment, the Jews have continued to observe the Passover feast. It began during the time of the children of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt and suffering under the uh, under that bondage to Pharaoh, God would bring 10 plagues on the Egyptians to respond to 19 separate incidents when the Bible tells us that Pharaoh resisted the work of God. He hardened his heart. 19 different times he resisted. And God would bring 10 plagues, the last of which 
was the plague of death upon the firstborn of all of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12 tells us the story. And it shall come to pass when you become to the land which the Lord will give you according as He hath promised, that you shall keep this service. That's the Passover. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean you by this service that you shall say? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when He smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. The children of Israel did what Moses told them to do, what God had told Moses to tell them to do. They killed a lamb. They took the blood and they put it on each side of the door and above the door. They were told to go inside their home and stay there. And they did. It was a beautiful picture of how they were going to be delivered from the judgment of God by the blood of the Passover lamb. This was a situation that was orchestrated then by the father of the family. It was placed in the families. It was the father's responsibility to see that it was done. The whole feast of Passover would emphasize the father. One of the children, usually the oldest child, would then ask that question that we saw play out in Exodus chapter 12. And and in modern times and more modern times, it came to be phrased in this way. As that child would stand up and ask the question, why is this night different from all the other nights? And see, God had placed that in the observance of the Passover so that the children would ask, why are we doing this? What is this all about? And it would be the father's role then as a spiritual leader of the family, not only to make sure that the Passover was there and that it was all set up and, and that it was prepared and observed exactly as God intended, but it was his responsibility then to speak to his children so that they would know this is what the Passover is all about. This is how God delivered us from bondage. This is what has been done from generation to generation to generation to generation. Those fathers taught their children about the heritage of their people and the truth of God's Word to them. It was the highest of all the Jewish feast days, and yes, it highlighted the role of the father. Now, if it wasn't Father's Day, I might not would emphasize that point quite as much as I am, but it is Father's Day. So let's just take a moment or two to talk about it. I read this week an article that was published on Fox News. It was written by three black men, two of them representatives to the House of Representatives of the United States, Representative Burgess Owens of Utah, and uh, also Representative Byron Donalds of Florida. A third man, Jack Brewer, Representative Owens was a former NF, is a former NFL player, as was is Jack Brewer. They titled this "America's Crisis is a Crisis of Fathers," and it pointed out some staggering statistics. 
18.5 million children in America today are growing up without a father in the house. Almost a fourth of the youth of our nation. 80% of all single parent homes are led by single mothers. Although the number that are being led by single fathers is growing, still 80% led by single mothers. Children without a father in the home were said to be five times more likely to grow up in poverty, nine times more likely to drop out of school. 90% of the homeless population in America grew up in homes where the father was absent. 90%. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders grew up in homes without a dad. 70% of all adolescents in drug and alcohol treatment programs right now, adolescents, grew up in a home without a dad. You can go to Fox News and pull it up online and look for that article. It'll come up pretty quickly. It's right there. Those men took a courageous stand and they have been horribly criticized for saying the things that they said. Let me quickly say to our single mom in services today or watching from home, your struggle is real. And I would say the same to the single dads who are raising their children. Your struggle is real. Many of you are doing amazingly well in a situation that you did not choose for yourself, and I'm not here to add to your guilt and pain. However, we must come to grips with the crisis in America caused by too many young people growing up without a father. We cannot respond to this by saying that fathers are unnecessary. Many of us grew up in the days of father knows best. Maybe you were like me. You had to watch it on reruns, okay? It preceded my time a little bit. My three sons. How about that one? Uh, But today's generation grew up watching everybody loves Raymond. At least Raymond was in the home though he was constantly portrayed as a bungling, inept nincompoop. I don't know what else to call it. (laughs) Fits well with a culture who's decided that fathers are optional, don't need a father. I want to remind you today that God initially created humanity by making them male and female. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. There is no other way. He established then the institution of marriage. He created them and called them a family. And I'm just here to say to you today, God's way is always the best way. Always. Every time we try to substitute something else, we mess it up royally. God's way is the best way. By the way, I looked up another sobering article written by a lady named Emily Kao writing for the Heritage Foundation, and she said this, Among the 25 most cited school shooters since Columbine, 75% were reared in broken homes. 75%. 
Psychologist Dr. Peter Langman, a preeminent expert on school shooters, found that most came from incredibly broken homes. of Not just divorce and separation, but also infidelity, substance abuse, criminal behavior, domestic violence, and even child abuse. Now we can add the name of Salvador Ramos. Another fatherless young man growing up without a father in his home. It's a tragic list. Probably the saddest part of it is that there had actually been 25 school shooters since Columbine. Let me just pause for a moment and say I'm very thankful for Brother Dwayne Roper of our church family. Uh, and I want you to pray for him. He's going to be meeting, I know, this coming week uh, with uh, uh, trying to organize the plans for uh, the police policing of the Cabot School District. If I'm announcing that ahead of time too early, I'm sorry. It just fits in with the message. Thank God for him. I'm glad our schools are doing something here in Cabot. Uh, may more of them follow that example. And yes, by the way, uh, if you don't see him around here today, it's because he's out there where he usually is, uh, taking care of us while we're in here worshiping God. On Father's Day, then, we have a passage of Scripture that reminds us of the critical role established by God in the observance of Passover, move forward from generation to generation. The gospel accounts give us careful details of all this. Jesus sent two of his disciples into the city of Jerusalem, packed with pilgrims, numbering in the hundreds of thousands of people. And he tells them, uh, when you approach the city, you're going to be met by a guy carrying a water pot. Does that sound like a little vague kind of instruction? Out of hundred thousands of people, you're going to be met when you go in the city by a man carrying a water pot. Now, the one thing about it we can say is that that would indeed stand out because men didn't carry water pots traditionally. That was the role of women. But uh, So uh, to find a man carrying a water pot, that would have certainly caught their attention. And uh, they said, Jesus said, when you do, follow him and see where he goes in when he gets home. And when he gets home, then you ask him uh, about where the upper room is. And, of course, they found it just exactly like Jesus described. Now, there's a question here that we just have to ask. If Jesus knew that he was going to be in the gate of the city where they were coming in, carrying a water pot, don't you think Jesus knew his name and where he lived? <laughs> well, of course he did. Well, why didn't he just send them, give them an address so they could enter it on their GPS or something, you know? Just... Well, I, I, I think uh, there's an obvious reason why Jesus didn't tell them where they were going, given the details of where that man lived. You see, there was a traitor in their midst who was looking for an opportunity to betray him, and there were important things that were going to go on in that upper room, and so Jesus didn't announce where they were going. Only the two disciples would know where it was, and nobody would find out where they were going to meet until they got there. Kept Judas in the dark so that what they were going to do in that upper room would not be interrupted. You see, what was going to happen there was important. It's very important. So today we'll consider this passage under the two headings of what actually transpired. And the first was 
that they observed the last Passover. It had to happen. The necessity of that last Passover. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? The disciples, you see, asked a question prompted by a foregone conclusion. They did not ask him, Jesus, are you going to celebrate the Passover? Do you want us to prepare a place for you? No, no, that's not the way they approached it. Where do you want us to set up so you can observe the Passover? You see, it was a foregone conclusion that he would. Earlier in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth, the Bible says it was a Sabbath day, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. You see, Jesus had observed uh, the Sabbath and had gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath. This was his custom. And there was no doubt that observing the Passover was also his custom. It was not in doubt. There was never any question about it. And it is something noteworthy for him, and it is something uh, that we can ask ourselves. Is our household the kind of place where some things are just taken for granted? Are we raising our children in a way so that they don't ask us, well, are we going to go to church today? Are, are, Are we going to be worshiping God today? You see, this all was taken for granted. They knew that Jesus was going to observe the Passover. The only question was... Where, where were they going to do it? We also notice that this was at least in part because of the divine requirement. You see in verse 24 of Exodus chapter 12, we find this, You shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. Forever. God had set this Passover as a feast to be observed to commemorate that time when He delivered them from the judgment of death and brought them out of Egypt by that awful act of judgment and the one to follow, of course, when Pharaoh's army would be drowned in the sea, they would keep the feast because God required it of them. But also they would keep it because this was the last of the true or official celebrations of the Passover. Jesus would implement something new that night. Being God, He had every right to do so. And as we'll see later in the message, Jesus would be implementing what He would call the new covenant. Passover, you see, was about the old covenant. But now, He says, a new covenant is coming and it will have a new ceremony and we'll see what that is. And so there was a foregone conclusion that we see in the observance of the Passover. It it had to happen. It was going to happen. And uh, this was the last of the official Passovers. It was a divine requirement that they were fulfilling. So of course they would do it. But then we also see in the midst of this, there was a satanic appearance, almost a satanic interruption. John would tell us of something that happened in the midst of this. John chapter 13 and verse 27 Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. That's Judas Iscariot. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. You see, Jesus had told them, one of you will betray me. And immediately the disciples began to ask, well, Lord, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And it's something Matthew gives us that detail in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 25. Yes, Judas Iscariot played right along the very end. Well, is it I? He knew it was him. 
But Jesus said there's going to be a, a, a sop that is a, a piece of that unliving bread, a, a morsel of food that's going to be dipped, and, and more than likely that was dipped in the bitter herbs. This was something that they all did, uh, but Jesus said when you see this, then you'll know that this is the one. And in fact, the Bible tells us that when that happened, Satan entered into him. John gives us another key detail as to why this last celebration of the Passover had to play out in just this way in John chapter 13 and verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Right up to this very end, Jesus is still affirming and confirming their faith. Still encouraging Still arranging things, still showing them his power, still showing how these things had been carefully planned out and arranged. The passage that Jesus quoted is from Psalm 41, written hundreds of years before this night. The key part of which says, Even in my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus only quoted the last part of that because Judas had never really been his friend and, and he had certainly never trusted in Judas. David was writing, you see that, about one of his friends, somebody he had trusted who had betrayed him. But now Jesus takes that last passage and shows us this was a prophecy about this moment. You see, it had to happen. The Passover had to happen because Judas Iscariot was going to Receive that morsel of bread from Jesus. Jesus, he was going to dip the sop at just that right time. And at that moment, Satan was going to enter into the scene. And Jesus would tell him, what you do, do quickly. So the Judas went out. Even at that moment, the disciples were clueless. In fact, John tells us they, they didn't know about it. They didn't understand. They thought that Jesus was sending them out to run some errand because Judas kept the bag. He kept the purse. He was the church treasure. He was sending them out maybe to buy something or maybe to do something for some poor person. He didn't know. They, to, the very, to that very moment, they didn't know. But it had to happen. It had been promised and prophesied centuries before. There it plays out, right in the midst of that last Passover. There had to be the Passover. There had to be that meeting. Now, don't you misunderstand me this, uh, today. Judas betrayed Jesus Christ by his own choice. He made that choice. And we could sit around and puzzle about all these things, and there's no answer to all the questions that we might want to ask. All I can tell you is that Judas made that choice. I can tell you that Satan himself entered into Judas because the Bible tells us that it did and that he went out and betrayed Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. This was the last Passover. It had to happen. Carefully arranged, Jesus sends Judas away. Then comes the new institution of the Lord's Supper. 
And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it, and he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. See, there were many ceremonial requirements that would have been followed by Jesus and his disciples in the observance of the Passover, but Jesus broke away from that at this point. The Passover always involved unleavened bread. It always involved the cup of wine, and it was also called the cup of blessing. Still carried over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so Jesus took those Passover elements that were designed to commemorate the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb so long ago by which they had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. Now it's going to have a new meaning. Now it's going to represent the true Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for, for us. Now it's going to uh, involve His sacrifice and our deliverance, but not just our deliverance from Egyptian bondage, but our deliverance from something much more powerful and something much more enduring, and that is the power of sin and the presence of sin. So that there we are, dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet we can be made alive by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. And so now Jesus puts a whole new meaning on this because it is going to represent how that Jesus Christ liberated us from the power and the penalty of sin. How He delivered us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So there Jesus stands. Or actually reclines. He's, he's not even sitting in a chair. I know we portray it that way, but remember... When we have the Living Last Supper, it's a portrayal of Leonardo da Vinci's picture. And Leonardo da Vinci didn't draw it right. It's a beautiful picture, but he didn't draw it right. In the Jewish times, you see, they didn't sit at a table like that. That's a Western idea. Uh, They had a low table. They reclined on the floor. And so Jesus would have been laying out on the floor. I'm not saying, guys, that we need to change it all up next year. We've already got the props built, okay? Just trying to get it in our mind the way it was. So Jesus was reclining on the floor, but he was very much there in his body. His his blood was all coursing through his veins. Are you with me? His body right there, his blood was all on the inside of him, pumping through his arteries and veins. Now there are those who believe that this literally, when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, that it literally, miraculously became his body and blood. But if Jesus was turning that wine into his blood, and if through drinking that blood and eating his flesh one could be saved, then the cross was fundamentally unimportant. You see, if if that literally became his body and blood, then I've got a problem with that because the literal body and blood of Jesus was still right there with them when he implemented this. So we ask ourselves, according to the way we interpret Scripture, how would the disciples have understood it when he said, this is my body and this is my blood? Well, they would understand it like most of us understand it. He's saying this is a picture. This is something that represents my body and my blood. 
which is the means by which we participate in the new covenant. There's not a passage of scripture anywhere that tells us that we take the Lord's Supper in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven of our sins. That's not what the Bible teaches. I want to show you a very plain, very clear passage of scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23. This is the Apostle Paul For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Not once. But twice, Jesus said, you do this to remember me. Do this and remember. Do this and remember. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, two things that he tells us. One, he tells us twice. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we remember. And number two, we proclaim, we preach, we put on display the Lord's death until He comes. So we commemorate His death on the cross for our sins and we anticipate His soon return whenever We take the Lord's Supper. He promised us, I'll drink this new with you one day in my Father's kingdom. Oh, oh, what a day that's going to be. See, the Old Testament Passover is all about remembering. And the New Testament observance of the Lord's Supper is also about remembering, but also about anticipating. But still, even then, to remind us That we serve a living Savior who's in the world today. And we are anticipating His soon return. And we live out our lives in under that awareness. This is something that we must not forget. God knew that we're inclined to. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you the large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, when you have eaten and are full, when you have eaten and are full, Then beware, 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 lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see, there's something about enjoying the abundant blessings of God that unless we're careful, we'll forget about the blesser. We'll get so busy. Enjoying the blessings that we forget the blesser. God gave them the Passover so they'd remember. And on that night of the last Passover, God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, instituted something new for His church. Something to remember. Christ, our Passover, the sacrifice for us.
where the Old Testament Passover was designed and placed in the home for the family. Uh, the, the New Testament, the New Covenant, uh, was designed, uh, uh, institution of the Lord's Supper was designed and placed in the Lord's church. Uh, that was already there. Jesus started the church while he was here. Matthew chapter 18 tells us that if there's problems of fellowship, you take, try to settle it your own. Then if not, take it to the church. Why would he tell him to do that? Because he had already started it. Granted, there was only one. It wouldn't be long until there'd be multitudes, but he started one, a very real one. Yeah, Saved, baptized people, assembling together. Yeah, yeah. Well, where'd they meet? Wherever Jesus was. <laughs> That's real simple. There could be only one church as long as Jesus was here. I could go a long time on that. I'm not going to. The Lord's Supper was placed in the church for its observance. Passover happened on the 14th day of Nisan, which was their first month of the year in the Hebrew calendar. But for us, we observe the Lord's Supper whenever we decide. And for us here at Faith Baptist, that's once a quarter. Once a quarter on Sunday night. Fifth Sunday nights. Jesus sent Judas away. It's very clear in John's account before the Lord's Supper happened. You see, the Lord's Supper is only for the redeemed in Christ. It's only for those who have followed the Lord in baptism. They were all baptized. They were all in fellowship with one of the Lord's churches. They gathered together as a church. That's made clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse, uh, verse 14, I believe it is. The Lord's Supper brings us to a place then for careful examination of our spiritual condition. He says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The observance of the Lord's Supper is only for the redeemed. It is only for those who have followed the Lord in baptism. It is only for those who are part of the Lord's church. And we just look at it that first night that he observed it so long ago. That's the way he set it up in the beginning. Uh, being a church member matters. Talk more about that in just a minute. Hang with me, I'm almost done. Passover was a big matter to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Are we making the Lord's Supper a big matter today? See, Jesus had, God had told them, this is something that's going to go on forever. Jesus changed it, obviously did. I've been the pastor of this church now for over seven years, and I've never seen many of you at the Lord's table. Not one time. I've seen your children, some of you saved and baptized, but many of you have never brought your children to observe the Lord's Supper. I'll grant you it is on Sunday night. Can we move it to Sunday morning? Can you not come on Sunday night? I say that to you gently this morning, but sincerely. Why is it a big deal? Because our Lord Jesus Christ made it a big deal. On the night before he died, Jesus arranged this whole thing. He set it all up. And he taught them then that he was our Passover 
sacrifice for us. And then he said just this. You do this and remember. You do this and remember. Why have we got to this point? Where we still think that baptism is important. But somehow the Lord's Supper has just become optional to us. Do this, Jesus said, and remember why. Because we're inclined to forget. Fathers, it's time. It's way past time. That we all evaluate how that we're assuming our God-given role of making sure that our kids hear the gospel. Making sure that they know the Bible. Making sure that they're prayed over and prayed with regularly. And yes, making sure that they know what it means to be saved and how to be saved. Yes, making sure then once they are saved because the Bible teaches believers baptism, not infant baptism. Yes, making sure that our kids understand that and they are baptized, not in order to be saved, but because they are saved. And it's important, fathers, yes, fathers, who train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers are given that instruction. To be saved, to be baptized, to be in the church as a member and not just as an attender because membership matters. And then teach them to come when this church observes the Lord's Supper because it's important, because it's a big deal, because Jesus made it a big deal. Because He told this, you do this and you remember you remember. Just in our consideration then of the Lord's Supper, we have an opportunity to examine ourselves. That's the kind of thing it does for us. That's why the Bible tells us, let a man examine himself and so take the supper. No, we're not going to observe the Lord's Supper tonight. No. You just missed it. If you just missed it, or maybe you hear, we just did it a couple of weeks ago. I can observe the Lord's Supper tonight. But still, just the consideration and the examination of this passage of Scripture can bring us to that point. Let a man examine himself and so take the supper. See, the first question we need to ask ourselves is, am I saved? Am I a blood-bought, born-again child of God? Because if you have not been saved, this thing has no part. You have no part in this. Have you followed the Lord in baptism? Let's keep things in order. God gave us an order. Let's follow that order. Saved, baptized, added to the church. And then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and prayer. And what? Breaking of bread and prayer. Let's just put it in that order. Because that's the way God put it. It's a great time to examine yourself. Have you been saved? Have you followed the Lord in baptism? Have you become a member of a church? Are you continuing in that doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread through the Lord's Supper and in prayer? Let's stand together for